Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from the United States, India, Germany, and France, and a see you in hell from Mexico's early 20th century. There's a lot of little details going on in the United States right now. So uh, one of these is a uh, series of dramatic revelations and accusations uh, revolving around Paul Gosar, the representative from Arizona, a United States member of Congress from Arizona, who uh, last week said that he was distancing himself from the white nationalist movements that he has come to be associated with uh, as sort of a go-between between the alt-right, that is, you know, the fascist elements in the United States, and the more conservative mainstream right wing that is manifesting around Trump, for example. He said that he's distancing himself from the fascists. The fascists say, you know, no, he's still our friend. And in fact, he was then promoted as a, a featured speaker at a fascist organization's rally that they were planning to have on April 20th. Now, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, April 20th isn't just a stoner holiday. It is also Adolf Hitler's birthday. Uh, so the fact that he was supposed to be attending this rally on that day is like a clear indication that he isn't distancing himself from the right wing. Now, his uh, his office says that he's not actually going to attend this rally. But the fact that like this drama is happening, it, it, it's a clear indication that his his separation from the right wing is not complete yet. In Texas, the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, uh, has signed a law and is now offering a trip to Washington, D.C. for undocumented immigrants that the uh, state of Texas finds in Texas. Now, this is part of his nationalist push uh, to try to seem extremely tough on immigration, which is, is something that the right wing, not just in the United States, but throughout most of the Western world, and indeed in most of the world, has very much in common. The right wing tries to promote the idea that immigrants are others, uh, that is, they are people who are fundamentally different from the national group that they're trying to organize. And so he's trying to separate them, uh, not just ideologically, but also literally trying to prevent them from being in Texas. It's also just, you know, like a, a really disgusting PR move to try to say that, like, these people would be, quote, you know, DC's problem now, something like that. There is increasing evidence that Virginia Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, the sitting justice in the Supreme Court, was um, possibly getting involved in like a more cult part of the uh, Trumposphere. You know, not just that she was spouting particularly QAnon type conspiracy theories, but that she might be actually involved in a sort of cult organization. Uh, it turns out that she was actually involved in a cult before, a cult called Lifespring, uh, and was deprogrammed from it. Uh, however, other people who were deprogrammed from that organization have come out and said that her behavior in, you know, her, her texts to uh, leaders of the Trump administration trying to get them to continue to fight against the election of Joe Biden um, is evidence. And, and that, like, the way that she's behaving and the way that she's talking is evidence of her having fallen back into some behaviors that would have characterized her as the member of a cult. Alternatively, it's possible that she's just a right-wing person who believes right-wing things and thinks that Donald Trump should be president no matter what. Now back to the ongoing news about the January 6th attempted coup last year. We have more evidence that, you know, not just Virginia Thomas, but a lot of other people were trying to push 
for Trump to remain the president despite his having lost on uh, in January of 2020. For example, uh, one of Trump's children uh, is one of the people who was talking about how they had, quote, uh, many ways, end quote, to be able to continue Trump's presidency no matter what, you know, despite the fact that he did legally lose. Uh, we also have more outcomes from trials of people who were indicted on their involvement in the coup. One of these people is Charles Donahue of the North Carolina Proud Boys, the Proud Boys, the largest and most powerful fascist organization in the United States. Uh, Donahue was one of the leaders of the North Carolina Proud Boys and has just this week pled guilty to six felony charges involved in his uh, participation in the coup. He is about to face six years in prison, but has promised that he will testify against others, specifically against other Proud Boys, in the hopes of reducing his prison sentence. Already, he has given a lot of info on the plans of the Proud Boys and other fascist organizations such as the Oath Keepers to disrupt vote counting and also to invade the Capitol building. Donahue was a member of the Ministry of Self-Defense, which was a sub-organization of the Proud Boys, a sort of secret chat group that was organizing their participation in the coup. Another January 6th defendee is the second person who chose to go to trial and was actually convicted in a jury trial for his involvement in the coup. This person is Thomas Robertson, a former cop from Northern Virginia. He's been found guilty on six charges, six felonies, uh, which are, you know, the same ones that all these people have been charged with, essentially involving the obstruction of the counting of a presidential election and, you know, invading the Capitol building, assaulting police officers, that sort of thing. Now, as more and more and more of these convictions happen and as more evidence is exposed of people's involvement in planning the coup, we will get more and more details about, you know, the people in the Trump administration that had contact with potentially people on the Capitol building, like people on the Hill that they had contact with. And that is the sort of stuff that will be able to unravel the, the threads that might lead us to possibly be able to make a criminal case against actual, you know, members of the Trump White House, uh, potentially even Trump himself. Speaking of elected officials who might face consequences for their involvement in the coup, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a congressperson from Georgia who has been a, a real Trump supporter from day one, even from before she took office, you know, she was elected in the same electoral cycle when Trump lost. Uh, it's possible that she's going to be barred from Congress uh, on 14th Amendment grounds. Now, the 14th Amendment was one of the amendments passed after the Civil War, which potentially bars anybody who participates in, quote, insurrection from participating in the government of the United States. Uh, this law was originally intended to allow the federal government to stop anybody who had participated in the Confederacy from holding elected office in the United States. And it's possible that it might be used against uh, Green. Now, now uh, a judge is still deciding about whether or not that case is going to be brought to trial. Um, so we're just going to have to keep our eyes open about this. Additionally, this week, there was a mass shooting in New York, specifically in Brooklyn. And it is possible, uh, as of the time that I'm recording this, which is about 5 p.m. Pacific time, it's looking very possible, potentially likely, that this shooter, who was a black man, might have been motivated by a particular form of black nationalism. This is, of course, 
pending uh, figuring out precisely who this shooter is. There is currently only a suspect who has just been arrested again as of 5 p.m. on Wednesday Pacific time. Um, and this is based off of YouTube videos and other social media posts that this individual had made. Uh, obviously, it's a little too early to tell exactly what it is that motivated this person. And um, in the coming hours, uh, if not days, it's possible that more and more evidence will be released. But I, I, I felt remiss uh, to not mention it in a podcast about fascist news and fascist developments. Turning away from the United States, there is news from Germany that an extremist right-wing group, uh, whose name translates to the United Patriots, had a plan for widespread electric grid disruption in that country, uh, which is a plan very much like those that a lot of other right-wing entities, specifically in the United States, have been engaged in in the past. Um, a lot of um, three percenters and oath keepers have been involved in plans like that in the United States. This plan in Germany was thwarted by the German police after they discovered it on message boards and message systems. Uh, so this will not happen in Germany. However, it is evidence that uh, this sort of stuff is not unique to the United States, uh, if you thought that it was. There has been a surge of anti-Muslim demonstrations in India. Uh, specifically, there have been several uh, demonstrations by Hindu nationalists in areas ruled by the Hindu nationalist BJP party, which is the current ruling party of India, demonstrations outside of mosques uh, in which the demonstrators are waving flags and singing anti-Muslim songs. Uh, additionally, they are carrying and displaying swords and axes in clear signs of threats of violence against Muslim people living in India. Uh, if you are unaware, Islam is the second largest religious group in India. There are about 100 million people in India are Muslim. Um, it is an extremely large minority in the country, and they have been facing persecution under the BJP and also earlier due to the fact that Hindu nationalists blame them for, well, a lot of things that happened in India, uh, namely the rule by Muslim leaders back in the Middle Ages, uh, also potentially for British colonialism. Finally, turning to France, uh, France had a presidential election last week. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the incumbent and, quote, centrist, won the first round of the election uh, with 27.8% of the vote. Marianne Le Pen, a right-winger, uh, came in second place with 23.1%. And Mélenchon, who is a leftist, uh, came in third, just under Le Pen, uh, with 22%. This means that in a month, there will be a presidential runoff between Macron and Le Pen, whose position is better than ever. Now, Le Pen faced Macron in the first election uh, of Macron. She was also the second highest vote getter. And she has been trending in a slightly more, at least ostensibly moderate direction. Notably, for example, her party, which was originally called the National Front, has been renamed as the National Rally. But it remains an anti-immigrant, law and order, anti-queer party with a virulent history of anti-Semitism that stretches back to the 70s with its founding by her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen. Macron has been trending rightwards in an attempt to, you know, sort of head off Le Pen at the pass, and he is likely to continue to do so. Polls currently show that if the election were held today, Macron would snag a victory uh, with a, you know, about 53% of the vote, but it's pretty close. 
And as I noted before, this is the second time that Le Pen has faced Macron. However, it is the third time that a Le Pen has gotten to the second round of the election. Her father made it uh, back in the late 20th century. Now, it would be really astonishing if Le Pen were able to win against Macron. However, this is what the French left uh, sort of flippantly predicted back when Macron was elected in 2017. Uh, the joke was uh, Macron 2017, Le Pen 2022. And it's entirely possible that this will happen. And if it does, Le Pen would be the most right-wing president that France has had, arguably, uh, potentially, I guess, since uh, uh, Louis-Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, Bonaparte III, uh, the president of France, who then decided that uh, he was right-wing enough to stop democracy and make himself uh, the emperor of France. Uh, this would also make her the, well, arguably the most powerful right-wing figure in the world, uh, commanding one of the largest economies and a nuclear power. Le Pen has also indicated that she is not particularly willing to turn her back on Putin, uh, whereas Macron has definitely uh, been interested in distancing France from Russia in the wake of the war in Ukraine. Finally, going to close out this week, as I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we're talking about José Antonio Urquiza, the founder of Sinarquismo, which is essentially the fascist party of Mexico. The National Synarchist Union is the English translation of this organization. They were a clerical fascist organization in Mexico created to oppose the PRI, the Partido Revolucionario Institucional, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, which was a liberal anti-clerical party that ruled Mexico during most of the 20th century and also uh, held the presidency in the previous presidential round in Mexico. Uh, the Sinarquistas were founded in 1937 as an arch-Catholic, like anti-modern group. Uh, they opposed all modern forms of ideology and politics from liberalism to socialism. Uh, they were also pro-fascist. They were you know, getting closer to the embassies and organizations of Nazi Germany and also Italy. Uh, Urquiza did not see any of this process, though, because he was murdered in dubious circumstances on April 11th, 1939. He was used as a martyr in the organization later, uh, which, uh, because of its involvement and interest in fascism, was banned in Mexico only to be revived later in the 20th century. So, uh, Jose Antonio Urquiza, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you like the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Please share it with friends, family, and comrades. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also how you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, H-I-S-T of the right. And you can follow the podcast itself at fascism15 on Twitter. All right. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next week.